0: stage three of the tour de france and i'm going to be joined by one of the sprint greats let's cue that intro the big question is this how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health our happiness and our longevity that is the question and this podcast will give you the answers my name is anthony walsh and welcome to the roadman podcast Welcome folks, it is stage 3 of the Tour de France. Every single day I celebrate the fact that we have a Tour de France on. It's amazing, today we covered 198 kilometers from Nice to Cestrion. Massively scenic day, one just nailed on for the sprinters and it didn't disappoint. Super excited today to have a special guest on the podcast. He is a legend in the cycling world. His name is Mr. Alan Davis. He is a ex-Quickstep rider, an ex-Astana rider. He stood on the podium in the World Elite Road Race Championships, podium in Milan San Remo, and... Commonwealth Games champion the man is a legend he knows everything there is to know about sprinting so I'm really excited to get the inside track on the Caleb Bennett battle from today and see his perspective on how stressful the finals actually are like I said to you yesterday you got to start calling it the final if you want to be profi. there's my other word for you today profi. you can start calling your sporty friends hey it's not profi, eh? Guys, before I go any further, I would encourage you to jump on over to patreon.com forward slash anthony underscore Walsh. Patreon is how we fund this podcast. It's how we keep the podcast going forward. It's more important now than ever with our daily podcasts. It obviously just puts extra strain on our entire infrastructure. So the podcast is supported on Patreon. I put a link in the bio. It's the price of buying me a coffee or a beer once a month. And it's the way you can tip the cap. Look, I. Don't sign up to Sky Sports anymore. And I don't pay Sky Sports anymore because I'm like, you know what? Forget about Rupert Murdoch. He's enough money in his pocket. I fund a lot of independent creators because I want to see them staying around. And that's why I chose to go with Patreon, that I think independent creators should have a voice. And if you guys agree that we should have a voice, that's the way you can go and support it. Okay, here we go. Let's get chatting to Mr. Alan Davis.
1: Alan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying uh having the tour back on the television to uh obviously to watch and um and to dissect every day. It was uh it was kind of a you know it was kind of a plan in 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 the in in the making there at the start of the season if we we're going to get a, a tour to watch, but it's yeah, hopefully uh it stays the way it is and uh, we keep enjoying some fantastic racing. What did you make of
0: uh the carnage on stage one. Here's a weird take on it. I'm not sure if you heard this. I was listening to He Who Shall Not Be Named, Lance Armstrong's podcast, which is epic if anyone hasn't listened to it. It's very good uh, about the tour. And he was saying one of the boys inside the peloton, he didn't name who it was, texted him to say that he lives around Nice and the roads aren't that bad in the rain that he reckons it was the caravan that went through before the race was spraying suds on the road. And that's what caused all the crashes on stage one.
1: Yeah, I uh, I watched the stage, yes, and uh, I, it seemed to be, you know, crazy, but it's not the first time, you know, we've had to deal with those sorts of conditions and, you know, those sorts of days where it's like an ice rink. Um, and then I seen actually that information that you just mentioned, uh, I think it was tweeted or was on social media somewhere. So it, it's, it's hard to, um, to fathom that the you know, the race organization caravan or a sponsor would, would do that. I'm not, I'm not sure how much truth's behind it, but if that was the case, yeah, that's definitely, uh, you know, an amateur move by, by everyone. So, um, yeah, hopefully it, it does seem to be like that the organizers, like for a long time,
0: like they don't give that much of a fuck about the riders from what I can see.
1: Yeah, well, you know the caravan in front of the races. Uh, as actually, as a rider, you don't realize how big and, and and you know how much of a how much of a show it actually is because you never see it unless you're on the side of the road. But um, it's it's a huge thing, and it's nothing bigger than the Tour de France with the race caravan that goes in front. So they're they're throwing out merchandise. All the sponsors want to get up there and have a have their own car and caravan. So you know it's all it's all part of the business, but. Um, yeah I'm, I'm sure if it's starting to affect the the show that goes on behind and the, with the writers obviously that needs to be looked at
0: yeah I, I didn't catch a name of who actually said that i'm not sure if it was up on twitter was it do you know who was talking about the swords
1: um no i can't remember who it was but i think it was on quite a quite a few different uh yeah social media feeds i'm not sure off the top of my head i can't remember who it was exactly but uh Strange.
0: I'm not sure if you've seen it today, but uh, a bunch of the riders got together calling it like riders unite uh, at the start. And they were basically, I think Jasper Stuyven was the spokesman for them. And he was saying, It's time for the riders collectively to come together and take responsibility for our safety. This is something we've been hearing about for years riders trying to do this. I know it in David Miller
1: and stuff trying to do it back in your generation. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely been on the on the cars now for uh, for many years, and it's it's been a great uh, idea, but it's never been able to to come to fruition because of uh, you know not everyone would would get on the same page, and it only takes you know a few riders or one team not to not to oblige, and that's it. The whole idea goes out the window. But uh, I think it's something that's that's good for the riders to give them a voice and uh, give them. Um, you know somewhat control on uh, let 's face it mate they 're the ones who put on the show that we love to watch as cycling enthusiasts these days so uh, yeah i think it's uh, it 's an interesting time and um, hopefully that uh, they all stay together and united and, uh, and 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 all stakeholders can can discuss situations uh, equally and uh, you know makes the whole business a lot better your old team, uh, Stana,
0: didn't seem too keen on the ceasefire the other day until, uh, was it Isigera or Lopez that slid
1: out? I think it was Lopez, yeah. He was the one who, who was third wheel, who uh, he did the old sideways headbutt. He actually controlled it quite well in the end, to be honest. He really did. He only crashed, I'd say, at like 10k an hour in the end. Yeah, he kind all the all the speed kind of washed off him before he head the post. But um, but you see his bike, his bike was smashed completely in half. Oh, really? No, I didn't see that. No. Yeah, it was completely fucked.
0: Uh, getting on to sprint stuff, Alan. Uh, one of I suppose he's not necessarily one of my favourite riders, but he's broadly accepted as one of the favorite lads in the peloton, Peter Sagan. For me, he just doesn't look himself at the moment. He was dropped out of the break yesterday, and I know you can kind of say it was a hilly day, it's not a sprinter's day. Sagan traditionally has surprised us on a lot of those medium mountain days. and I don't know, he, just, he doesn't look right or something to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of, uh, he's, not, he's not the same age anymore as what we're used to seeing him you know, four or five years ago when, and the level he was promoting. With uh, winning pretty much everything he touched, so it was pretty. They're always going to be hard to maintain that uh, that image, or so to speak, and you know that that uh, palmarès. So I, I think he's kind of uh, as he's getting older, probably taking a little bit longer to find form. I think uh, you know, as the racing just starting up at the start of August, um, he'll he'll find himself getting riding himself into form, so to speak. I believe. I he's think for, of, he's forty six races at the moment without a win. I just seen that stat
0: earlier. July two thousand and nineteen is his last win, which surprised me.
1: Yeah. I mean he went through that stage uh with I think it was Tinkoff, where he, he couldn't notch up a win either with uh with them, you know, a lot of seconds and you know, good seconds places and then he kind of went on a roll. So it, it's similar to the to back them actually. I I was talking to someone else about it the other day, but uh yeah, I, th- I think, um, like I say, mate, he'll he'll get into form as the tour keeps going and we'll see him, I think, pop up a lot within the last week of the race. Green jersey for him again? Yeah, I think he's, uh, he's a favourite, mate, for the green jersey. Um, to be honest, there's not many days like we've seen today where it's just flat and, you know, uh, a sprinter's paradise, so to speak. Where we can see... Uh, the sprinters who can climb, mate, and uh, you know get get into a small group and get in those breakaways and get some points along the road where they're not exactly sprinters' stages. They're the ones who are going to be uh, at the pointy end of the green jersey competition, I believe. Let's have a chat about today. So, uh, Cousin from Total
0: Direct Energy, he was kind of the sacrificial lamb. They left him out there today. But then about – how? when would you say the sprinter start getting switched on? You start thinking about it about 20 kilometers to go? Did your head start going to sprint mode?
1: Yeah, on a stage like today, it'd be around about that that point. Um, you know, it was all always going to come back for a sprint, so you could really uh, just switch off and, and uh, you know, restore the energy levels with your food and drinking and not getting too nervous and wasting too much nervous energy through basically the whole day. And then, like you say, 20K to go, mate. That's about, about the game time point where you switch on and uh, start start getting your boys around you and you know, you start thinking about where you want to be towards the end of the sprint, so, the sprint so how does that work is it coming from the director over the
0: radio saying right boys start finding alan now start thinking about the sprint
1: yeah pretty much pretty much the you'll get the call and and you, you know after doing it many times the riders know when it's time to to flip the flick the on switch so to speak mate and uh you know, it depends on the course and the terrain. You know, if there's a big headwind, you don't really want to be too close to the front, and uh, so it really depends on the on the terrain and um, you know the the weather conditions as well. Sometimes it could be a really uh, windy finish, windy sort of last ten to twenty k. So you want to be, you know, not you want to be quite quite far forward, um, not to get the you know the lactic. Sort of whips outside of the corners all the time, that really drains a lot of energy out of yourself and also your lead out men. So it's, every day is a little bit different, but one like today, you can know, pretty straight run in, you can relax and, and basically just form together, you know, coming into that last 10 to 15 kilometers. And
0: on a stage like today, Alan, would you, back either back when you were racing, if the tech was there, or now if you were involved and you were a mentor and one of the sprinters, how much emphasis would you put on video technology and looking at the run in? on camera before the stage
1: um you know nowadays it's it's important and the technology's there to to be able to get on you know um on the on on your phone or on your have it on file as a sports structure and do a bit of a presentation before the start you can actually get uh, really good imaging and videos of the actual finish i think it's important it's just using technology to its advantage and as a sprinter if you have the the frame and the picture in mind of Especially the last kilometre, it's it's a lot easier to uh, to make your judgments and know what's you know have that picture in mind to to what's coming up, you know, if you haven't seen it before. So, I think it's it's part of the part of being a sports director these days, and you know, all the teams doing it. Mate, it's nothing, it's nothing new, or it's hidden. Um, You know, there's a lot of apps and uh, and like I say, new technology websites where they just show the exact image of the, of the last kilometre for example and, and a lot of people know what it's like before they go in there.
0: And if you're on the back of, say you've your boys lined up, you know your Stan or your quick step days, you've uh, your boys lined up up front of you, how much are you talking to them through
1: the last 2-3k? Um, to be honest, you don't, uh, less said is always better and it's clearer and you can gauge by what you know your, your boys are thinking by how they're riding as well, and where where you're positioned. Um, it's kind of more is said when when you sort of lose each other, you know, when it gets a little bit unorganised, that's when when you need to really say something or or just you know get on the radio and say, look, I've lost the wheel, boys. I'll, I'll find his back. Or you know, if it's, it's if it's really easy and uh, in terms of organisation, there's um, not too much um, technical. Road furniture, for example, corners and so forth. I always found it was better not to say much and just trust the guys in front of me and then, you know, you work off the back of them and you know they'll put you in the right position coming into that last 150 to 200 metres.
0: And is that stressful today That to sort of run in for a sprinter? A hectic, no one team taking control at the front? Or is it just depend on the sprinter? Some of them thrive on that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit... Uh, you know, some sprinters really like it. Like in my time, Robbie McEwen was really good at it. Um, you know, and someone like Alessandro Bataki wasn't so good at it or Chippo himself. You know, they really liked a really big, strong, fast lead out train with not much uh, disorganization for them to launch their sprint. Whereas someone like Robbie and even like today with you seen with Caleb, they really surf the, the Peloton waves really well. And really hid themselves and saved the energy at doing so, and then uh, when they were, when it was time to, to open up the sprint, you know they had a they had a full full tank of gas to, to do a to do a sprint, you know. And it's kind of an individual um, thing, I, I believe, and it's uh yeah, it's it's something that you you're born with, I believe, and you know coming off from the racing background from the track, you you find a lot of guys that have done that have a pretty good. And now it's on where to be and how to surf the Peloton waves without a organized train in front of them. just a straight up battle between Ireland and Australia here, and afraid I came out the wrong side of it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know,
0: um I'll uh I kind of, knew we were chatting, because uh, me and Alan had been WhatsApp and earlier in the day, so I knew Alan was gonna come on to talk about it and it was shaping up like it was going to be a caleb Bennett battle and i was like i fucking love it now if bennett rolls him on this stage <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no it was uh you know it, it was really i think bennett did everything right he um you know he did he, he got the you know he, if you see the the eric the sorry the aerial vision from the helicopter both the boys were way in front of the rest of them so uh they both did really good sprints. It was just Caleb, um, like I said, he, he lost two riders but before the start, remember, with Dag Cole a really good lead out rider. And uh and also Philippe Gilbert. So Caleb really didn't have any other option other than to surf the white you know, the Peloton waves and uh and he got the gap when he needed it, and you can see that from the helicopter vision. So uh Sammy did a really good sprint and and sprinted in the wind and Caleb basically surfed it well and it opened up and the gap stayed open for him when he needed it and got through in the last last few meters of the line
0: Caleb looked insanely fast like if he looked away picked his way past Sagan on the fence and then into the next gap it, he looks like he's the fastest man in the race at the moment
1: yeah if everything if like like I say mate if you can uh, when when you're by yourself he has to, he has no other option of, of of too much of a lead out from his own team, so he will have to surf the surf the waves, and there will be sprints where you know he will be stuck um, a fair bit back, and to move forward, he's going to have to step out in the wind. And anyone who's done a sprint to move forward at uh, you know seventy five k an hour, it takes a lot out of you. So he will need the luck on his side, and the gaps uh, to open up. And uh, he'll always be there. But uh, I think Sammy will will have the you know the full team support in terms of the the best trying in the race at the moment. Uh, before I let you go, Alan, I want to get your take on
0: this one because it was stage one and we had that, you know, Tony Martin coming to the front, sticking the hand up, Peloton slowing down. But what kind of pissed me off, and i seen seen commentary from Bennett after as well saying he wasn't too happy about it either. Bennett has to fight so hard to stay in the front early in that stage and Caleb gets dropped. And then the bunch halts up and Caleb just rolls back on. All that energy that Bennett's wasted fighting, trying to get back on to the cars early in the stage, Caleb's had to waste none of that energy. Like, it just doesn't seem... I know Caleb didn't win that stage in the end, but it just doesn't seem fair with these sort of, you know, rider decisions to slow the race down. Now, I know there has to be some sort of emphasis on safety, but where do you draw that line between, you know, fairness to the sprinters who have dug in and fairness to the lads on
1: safety-wise? Yeah, it's it's always a case with those situations, mate. It's, um, you know, everyone's got their own story that, that comes out of it. And that's exactly the other side of the story from, you know, from going down the safety track option. You know, there's a, you know, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a really good example where Sam was kind of uh, annoyed because he put in all that en- energy in the team uh, for one of his main opposition rivals to you know, to get back into the peloton and and not spend too much energy doing so. Um, that's always going to be the case when you see that in a race um, where, where it's kind of like a neutral decision to neutralise the race for the riders. Um, everyone has the gains from it and unfortunately there's going to be negative sides and losses to individuals' performances from it as well. So they have to... Keep that in mind. Um, the you know you can see the veteran riders, the older riders are the ones calling the shots. And now, like we mentioned before, with the uniting of the riders, they have to keep every every option in mind. And it's and it's going to be very tricky to uh, to get everyone happy with with a unanimous decision because of that exactly exact reason.
0: Do you miss it, Alan? Do you wish you were there today, bumping shoulders with K11 Sam?
1: Uh. You know, days like, I do I do miss um, the camaraderie. Uh, I do miss the, uh, you know, the the, the racing um, in terms of competitiveness. I've, you know, I've sort of, I've worn that candle out, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> more of a, you know, I'm a social, social cyclist now and enjoying my coaching. And, uh, you know, I'm a technical, technical advisor for the UCI as well. So I do get to, to be there and in, in person at the races as well on the on the in the world tour so um i i get my my fixes by by what i'm involved in at the moment but uh you're just smashing guys now on the way to the coffee stop sprinting for town signs exactly mate (laughs) exactly it's uh it's more uh my um my competitiveness is more on the rugby field these days mate as a as an old veteran bloody rugby player
0: what do you make of this uh, summit finish tomorrow? Do you know anything about it? Up to we're in the Haute Alps. I think it's Merlette. Uh cat one finish up to the summit tomorrow. It's seven point one kilometers long at six point seven percent average. Have you written it?
1: No, I don't I don't think I have, mate. I don't I don't recall it anyway. Maybe I have once I see it. It was one of those one of those climbs that you sort of don't see it on paper, but you know, going over it in a Paris knees nice or or some other of tour herself, but uh, you know, any cat one climb that finishes on top, you know, the, the climbers, it's one of those days, mate. where you can, um, you know, you really, you really have have an opportunity to lose a race if you lose time. But uh, and also, it's also so early in the race as well, you know. So maybe they they won't be playing their cards too much, and someone else, like uh, like we saying yesterday, um, with uh, you know what do you call him? The Prince of France or the King of France.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. U- 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 Julian Alaphilippe, could, uh, housewife's yeah. favourite.
1: <laughs> housewife's favourite. He could, uh, you know, could get another stage stage win himself or someone on, on that, that style of uh, that second tier GC rider, you know. Who do you fancy for the overall? Hard to look past Roglic or do you have someone else? Yeah, I'm oh, at the moment and uh, I've, I'm, I've got him as my favourite Roglic, but uh, I do believe Bernard um Bernal will sorry will like a bit like Sargon, he'll uh, he's kinda of, his forming his form I think will will be it'll be clear towards the last week of the race how how uh how they've timed it in terms of form. And uh it'll be interesting. You know, I think all the cards are in the lot Lotto Jumbo uh, favour at the moment, but as the race goes on, that's when it'll be It'll become clear if they've made their timing right in terms of form. But uh, one thing with Roglic, which I I have him as favourite now, is because of what he has under his belt. You know, with the Giro uh, last year and obviously winning the Welter. that's two big grand tours that he would have improved a lot and his body volume would have improved a lot and it'll help his endurance in the three-week races a lot. Without, the, without those two races and the form he had leading into it, you know, I will probably not picking him as my favourite. So I just feel like the wheels would fall off towards the end of the race when it gets really hard. But now he's got that under his belt, mate, I think he will be hard to beat and uh, and his endurance and race volume has improved a lot. The rider.
0: And does Sky make a mistake, or in- sorry, Ineos Granada, uh, make a mistake in leaving Thomas and Froome behind?
1: Um, I, I don't think so. I think with uh, the the team they've they've picked and uh and leaving those guys, you know, we still have the Giro and the Welter, two big races to, to be run and one. So uh you know, they you know, they once again, mate, they could be winning the three grand tours. Um, you know, they didn't put all their eggs in the same basket for the tour, but they have the Jiro winner from last year, Carapace, there. So if he's if he's on form, Bernal's on form, um, you know, there that's enough. You know, you can plan a, a really strong winning Tour de France team around those two. you know? I'll leave you on this one, Alan. Here's an interesting conspiracy theory I
0: have with the COVID situation and the way it's developing. You know, we had a UCI president saying he'd be surprised if it makes it all the way to Paris. And, you know, whatever the the chance of it making it all the way to Paris is I actually think it's going to change how people race. I think Jumbo-Visma, they're going in as the race favorites, or Ineos as the second race favorites. I think historically you wouldn't want to take the jersey in the first week. It's putting too much pressure on the team, especially with smaller teams. But I think with the race potentially not making it all the way to Paris, whenever they call it off, whoever's in the jersey is going to be declared the winner. I think there's an argument for saying we'll expend a little bit of energy in week one to take the
1: jersey. Yeah, definitely. That definitely makes sense. Um, I've never looked at it that way, to be honest. Uh, that's definitely uh, that will be the case. Um, yeah, if it does get you know postponed, uh, you know if anything can happen. The way this twenty twenty year is going with the pandemic, it's such a uncontrollable situation. It, it definitely could happen, and that will fall in the favor of uh, you know the the guys who are starting the race in you know top form and not really don't really have to ride themselves into form um, yeah that's definitely I, I agree mate that, that'll definitely uh, throw the cat amongst the pigeons and the ones who are and also Alaphilippe um, we've seen a really good example of what he did last year but just picking up stages you know um, time, time bonus seconds and doing a good time trial um, he was really hard to run down you know with the last, last well four or five days
0: to go like if you can sprint you can time trial and you can climb like there's <laughs> not much to do only
1: to win the tour yeah it's a really interesting point yeah it'd be be definitely interesting to see how it plans out yeah alan uh thanks for catching up
0: we might catch you on which again on one of the flat sprint stages if you're up for it well sure mate
1: absolute pleasure
0: that was mr alan davis sprint legend and all-around good guy uh thanks for listening to the roadman podcast today we're back each and every day all the way through the tour de france Tomorrow's stage, it takes us 145 kilometers from Cestrian to, I'm going to absolutely butcher this, and you wouldn't even believe that I race for a French team for a year, orcieres merlat And it's a cat one climb, topping out at 1,825 meters. Tomorrow promises to be a spicy day and a forced reel mix-up in GC. So I'm looking forward to joining you for the analysis for that one. A quick reminder if you haven't already to head across to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. That's the way you can support the podcast. That's the way you make sure that we make it to Paris. Thanks for listening folks and I'm going to chat to you again tomorrow.